Digital Marketing Radio, episode 161. The power of email marketing in 2016. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Digital Marketing Radio is part of the 3B Podcast Network. UK casters talking business growth. Find out more over at 3BPN.com. The Big Interview with David Bain. I'm David Bain. I'm joined by a DIY internet marketer who's studied and learned from the successes and mistakes of online entrepreneurs to move his own business forward, focusing on the power of email marketing. Welcome to DMR, Carrie Green. Hey, thanks, David. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. Yeah, thanks for coming along. Well, you can find Carrie over at podcastfasttrack.com. So, um, Carrie, uh, talking about email marketing today, why did you decide that focusing on email marketing yourself was going to be the most effective tactic for you? Well, I think the first reason was because it was just the easiest way to make contact with the people that were my ideal clients. Being a podcast production company and show notes and that sort of thing, obviously podcasters need our service. And iTunes in particular is a, it's it's a, a, what would you call it? A prospect list of potential clients. So I could easily go through the iTunes directory. Uh, there's a link to the person's website. And on most websites, you can find an email address or a, a contact form of some sort. So it was it was kind of a no-brainer for me in that way. It was just the easiest way to connect with people. And it took me a while to tweak my verbiage and get my copy down the way that it needed to be. But but over time, it's really proven to to be a good way for me to reach out. Got you. Okay, so you're talking about email as a form of outreach as opposed to um, inbound marketing and getting them to give you their email address and obviously deliver content to them from that. Absolutely. How, how many emails um, are you talking about then uh, to begin with? Well, I did this a little bit last year before I was keeping stats. So I probably, I'm guessing, sent out four to 500 emails last year in 2015. Okay. But in 2016, so far, I started on February 14th. I've sent out 1,420 emails to prospective clients. Well, that sounds a lot, um, maybe if you did it as one-off, but um, really if you break it down on a weekly basis, it's not that much. And obviously you're doing some very distinct targeting in terms of um, who is likely to be a client of yours and um, getting the contacts right. And I like that approach because obviously uh, it's not um, just sending an email to anyone at all. So, I mean, how do you determine to begin with who is the person that you actually want to send an email before. Sure. Well, there's there's a couple of things. As you're going through the iTunes directory, you can see the date for when they've done their last shows. You can see how many shows they've done. You can see all of that. So if it's a show that hasn't published in the last year, unless they have a lot of episodes that they did publish, I won't typically contact them. I just see that as a, as a sign that they're no longer podcasting. So that takes out some of the possibilities. Uh, once I click to the website, I notice the professional look of their website, whether they have products for sale, whether they have advertisers on their website. I mean, all those are indications that they're generating revenue from their podcast or their website, one of the two. And so if they meet those criteria and are also a, a niche or a, a, a topic that fits with my philosophy, then I'll reach out to them and I'll send them one of my emails. And it's interesting, you mentioned, you know, that the 1240 doesn't sound like a lot, but but I do do them individually. I don't do any bulk emailing because I want to customize it to the person that I'm dealing with. And so I'll even listen to an episode of their podcast. I will read through their website and find their name. I think it's just very important to treat people like people instead of like a business. 
And you mentioned iTunes there. So is this a system that someone else could copy who isn't a podcaster or doesn't want to target necessarily podcasters? I think it is, but they would have to find where where do the people that they are trying to reach hang out? That may be a community of some sort on Facebook or on, on Google+. Plus. It may be a, a forum, one of those old-fashioned forums. They are still around. And if you can get in there and make relationships and, and get email addresses that way, those are ways to reach out as well. Or if you simply wanted to uh, just do some Google searching on the niches or the types of businesses that you want to market to and find their contact information through their websites, you can do that as well. And I know you can you can pay people on Fiverr to, to scrape websites for you and that kind of thing and get those email addresses as well. So it doesn't have to be a, a one uh, one thing at a time sort of a deal. You can get you can get bulk email addresses that way if you need to. So you mentioned that um, you personalize every email. So how long do your emails tend to be and what would be an example of the type of content that you try to include in these emails? Well, my typical email, I do have a template that I use for my first, second, and third outreaches to a person. But they're all 60 seconds or less to read. So I, I focused on making them really short to respect the person's time. I also, in terms of customizing, will include their name. Uh, if I can't find their name, I will I will put some sort of an introductory phrase or a subject line that hopefully will will grab their attention. It can be a little quirky, it could be a little a little uh, funny, or it could be personal related to their page. You know, making a comment about something on the website that I've seen, so it lets them know this isn't just a spam email. This is someone's taking time to put some thought into this. And then I will typically say something about their podcast since I'm dealing with podcasters and I'll tell them I just listened to the episode with Joe Smith or whoever and really enjoyed the piece about about content marketing and and just let them know, you know, that I've I've really taken some care in this and thought through what I want to say to them. And then my typical email will go through just real quickly bullet points of what we do, which is podcast production and show notes. And that we have systems in place. We have a list of 25 clients. You know, I kind of kind of build the authority for we're not just a fly-by-night company from some far-off country. We, we definitely are, are in this for the long haul. So um, there are quite a few different uh, definitions of the word spam and what it means. Uh, legally, I guess it means different things in different countries, certainly in the States, um, Canada, the UK, there are different spam laws. And... I guess there are interpretations of what the law means to different people as well. Sure. What is your feeling on what the word spam means? Sure. I have asked people, well, isn't what you're doing spamming? Uh, I don't feel like it is because number one, they're personal emails. They're, one, they're from me to the person. It's not a bulk email sort of a list where everybody's getting the same message. It's also uh, something where I'm taking time to reach out to the person and I'm trying to add something of value. If, uh, because of the way I do my selection of who I'm going to send the emails to, these are not just anybody. These are not people who my service is totally irrelevant to, like a lot of spam is. These are people who I have pretty much researched and can tell in one way, shape, or form, they could probably use the services that I'm offering. And so I'm, I'm trying to add value to their life, to streamline their workflow, to save time in their workflow, uh, whatever I can do. And some of them, I'm sure see it as spam because it was unsolicited. You know, that's the word that you hear is if it's an unsolicited email, it's spam. Well, I don't, I don't agree with that. I get people reaching out to me all the time that don't want anything. They're just making a connection. They, they heard about me or wanted to talk about this or that. And that's totally unsolicited. Well, is that spam? Well, no, it's not because it's a, it's a one-on-one connection. And that's how I feel my approach is a little different. 
I mean, I believe that the rules here in the UK that um, if you're offering a business service and you're targeting a business rather than a consumer, then you're allowed at least one outreach email to introduce what you're doing to someone. But hmm. the interpretation is so different, just depending on who you speak to, it's quite challenging. Absolutely. It's not an easy call to make. Do, do you ever actually include an unsubscribe link? Or if someone did come back to you to say, don't send me any emails, any more emails, do you actually, do you actually have a database yourself of emails that you won't contact ever again in the future? Yes, I do. If someone, I have had a few people reply to me and say, please take me off your list or whatever, whatever verbiage they'll use. And I do keep those emails and set them aside and, and make sure that we don't send to those people again, because I, I want to respect the person. Again, for me, it's about the person. I want to, I want to care for people, not just have a business transaction, but build a relationship. And you mentioned that you've got a three email sequence. Um, is it a maximum of three emails that you send out to people? Yeah, that's all I do. I send, I send one that is the initial one I described to you. A second one that's much shorter just says, I contacted you a week ago about this. I would love to chat with you if you have any need. It's and do you include the initial email in that email as well? I don't. No. I don't. Okay. I just uh, I just assume that they, they got it. And if they didn't, you know, they can see this one and say, what was it you contacted me about if they're interested? Although I do, I do phrase my title such that it's clear I'm talking about podcast production and, and that kind of thing. And then my third email is even shorter than that one. And it essentially says, this is the last time you'll hear from me. I don't want to fill up your inbox with, with stuff you don't need. So if you're interested in podcast production or show notes, please reply and I'll, I'd be happy to chat with you. And it's, uh, it seems to be pretty effective, especially that third one, because I find that many people have the first one and maybe the first two in their inbox and just haven't had time to reply, though they intended to. And then when they get that third one that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit contacting you, uh, they'll jump right on it and they'll say, hey, I did want to talk. Uh, I, just, I just haven't had time. And so we start a conversation then. So would you say that you get even more replies to the third email than the first email? You know, I haven't tracked the third email. I probably should, but uh, I I would say I probably get equal amount of responses to the third as I do the first. Yeah. So very, very important to continue to follow up. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, a lot of people, I, I've read a lot of email marketing things and they say to, you know, follow up in three days, follow up in five days, follow up in a month, you know, keep following up until you get a no. I don't agree with that. I, I don't, I don't want to be a pest to somebody. So I, I follow up a week after and then again a week after that. And if I don't get any response, then I'm done. And is there any particular day of the week that you prefer to send emails on? Nope. I usually just Monday through Friday. Whenever I'm whenever I'm at my desk is when I'm sending emails. Okay. And um, what about subject line? Um, what subjects line uh, tend to work best in terms of actually opening rate and, and people replying to you? Yeah, the one that I found that works the best uh, simply because I think it's, it's appealing to a podcaster and it is kind of a, I don't know, it's ambiguous enough to, to at least get a click to open the email uh, is about your podcast. That's just all I put in the, in the subject line. I, and, and you don't actually say the name of their podcast. You just say not, about your podcast. Yeah, not in the subject line. I, I think because I'm a podcaster too. And so I know, you know, if someone emails me with a subject line about your podcast, I'm going to probably assume it's a fan mm -hmm. or someone who's listened and they have a comment or they want to ask a question or whatever. And if I were to click in and see this is a marketing thing rather than that, it's all going to depend on how that email is structured and how that person is approaching me is whether that would feel tricky, tricky, like trickery to me or not. And so uh, in my view, the way that I'm writing my emails, I am asking about their podcast. I'm asking if I can help with their podcast and, and uh, it's, it's a legitimate, uh, a le legitimate way to do it. Now, the second email 
I've made it a little bit quirky. The first uh, thing they see on the subject line is, are you tired of the podcast time suck yet? And so I'm really appealing to that need podcasters have to save their time and, and get rid of the back in production and all of that. So I, I've found a pretty good success rate of people clicking on that one as well. I have some software that I use to to track it and I can see when people have clicked. And so it's it's really been been pretty effective with both of those subject lines. What's a good response rate? I mean, what kind of percentage of people do get back to you? Yeah, well, on people who respond, and I count people who say no, not now, or yes, you know, because they're responding to the email in some way. I'm having a 14.5% click-through rate or response rate on that, which from my understanding is pretty good yeah. as far as the, the, the email marketing realm goes. And from those, I'm getting just over 1% actual conversions of people who actually follow through and become a client. That sounds very good and very sustainable, certainly, for you to keep on doing yourself, certainly, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a, a second member of my team. My oldest son is 25, and he works with me in the business, and he's starting to do marketing as well. So we're kind of doubling our efforts, and we'll see how our rates uh, fare after after he's been doing this for a while as well. Wonderful. And um, in terms of final call to action within the email content itself, well, what tends to be most effective there? What do you ask people to do within the contents of your email in terms of reply? Yeah, I ask them either to reply. I, I also put a scheduling link in if they would like to schedule a time to chat. And I actually get a lot of people that do that. They'll just click on the schedule link and it takes to an automated scheduler that syncs with my Google Calendar and they can pick a time that fits for them and and ask them for what they want to talk about and, and the name of their podcast and those kinds of things so that I have a little information when we actually do get on a call. And we'll do that over phone or Skype or whatever. And so I really just have those two options for them to set an appointment or to reply to the email. And it's usually the replies and then probably, I don't know, 20% that will click on the scheduling link and make a, an appointment right there. And I, I prefer the scheduling link, obviously, because when you can talk and, and build that level of trust between you and another person, it really goes a long way. Great. Okay. So you don't set up any automated sequences at all. Is that something that you're thinking of perhaps doing in the future? Or do you think that that'll actually dilute the real value of what you're trying to do? I do think it will delete the, the value of what I'm trying to do. I think that the personal approach is what I want because that's how I do business. And I want people from the first time they hear of me to the last time I say goodbye to see me as a person, not as a business. And to realize that they're going to they're gonna have a relationship here that they can count on rather than just services. Because, I mean, let's face it, a lot of people can do podcast editing. A lot of people can write show notes. But it's the quality of that relationship and the loyalty that you build between people that's going to sustain that relationship over time. And that's what I'm aiming for. Do you reckon most types of businesses could be learning from this or doing this? Or do you think it's an only an owner-occupier, a consultancy, a, a coaching-type business that um, would be able to use this type of technique most effectively? Well, I think a personal approach is always better. It doesn't matter if you're a big corporation or not. Um, I have one of my clients who's a, a B2B sales guy, and he, he coaches and teaches about sales all the time. And he's hammering on it all the time, the personal approach and building that relationship. That's what matters. In terms of whether they could do it in volume or not, I, I don't really know how possible that would be because once you automate things, some of the qualities of your email are going to have to become more generic and you're not going to be able to insert a lot unless you, first of all, create a, a spreadsheet with details like podcast name and that sort of thing and then had mail merge and created all that. I guess you can make it sound more personal, but in terms of, I don't know, the feeling, the nuance that I feel my emails are able to have, I, I don't know if you could duplicate it or not at a large scale. 
it's tough to make things appear to be exceptionally personalized, obviously, and automate everything at the same time. Yeah. But but it's um it's interesting that email isn't going away and, and that it's um still probably the most effective form of communication online. There was a lot of talk a few years ago of emails dying, it's onto instant messaging, it's onto social media instead. What what are your thoughts on the on the future of email in general? Are are you fairly confident that this is a, a way of doing business for many years to come? You know, I have no way of knowing how long, but I do think that email is going to be around for quite some time because it's an easy way to transmit things. It's an easy way to communicate. I, I do appreciate tools like Slack, for instance. I use Slack with my team and we, you know, we communicate in more of a chat or messenger kind of a format there. But I think for reaching out to people you don't know and making introductions between two people, uh, email is really a, a powerful way to do it. And and it's one of the few things that lands personally in a private place directly to the person you're trying to reach. And so that's that's what I'm going for. Well, coming up, we're going to be learning about the one piece of software that uh, Carrie couldn't live without. But first of all, I'd like to mention a cracking webinar that I'm going to be hosting soon. So that's called the 26-Week Digital Marketing Plan Bootcamp Webinar. And I'm going to be joined by Mark Asquith, Lucas Zelesny, and Johnny Ross. It's all previous digital marketing radio interviewees to brainstorm digital marketing strategies for one lucky business. So to find out more about that and to register to attend for free, go to 26weekplan.com slash bootcamp. Uh, so that's 26weekplan.com slash bootcamp. And it's only the live version that you can attend for free. So hopefully we'll see you there. But let's segue into the second section of our discussion, and that focuses on Carrie's thoughts on where digital marketing's been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So um, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Yeah, the one that I'm using right now that would be the most detrimental if I lost it is called Wizzy.io, and it is a plugin for Google Chrome that enables you to set up templates for emails, to track your emails, to set an automated reminder to follow up on an email. It's just really a great a great tool. And I'm surprised it's free. Their website says it's always going to be free. And I just, I just really love it. So it's W-I-Z-Y dot I-O. W-I-Z-Y or Z um, over here in the UK. Yeah, Wizzy, uh, I guess, dot, is dot how, you I was going to ask you how, to, how you spell it, because it sounds like one of those words that I would have been trying for about um, two years to figure out actually how you spell it. But um, I've got the website um, up in front of me here, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes at um, digitalmarketingradio.com, where this podcast episode is published. But um, here's a slightly more challenging question. So what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about, and um, you intend to try at some point in the near future? Yeah, I think that uh, the software that I I have not used that I hear a lot about is Evernote. I remember when Evernote first came out, I played around with it a little bit and just didn't have time to get in uh, and learn it. I, I do use a, a task management software called Nosby that I really love, but I keep hearing things about Evernote. I keep hearing things about how easy it is to to capture things and use notes and, and all that sort of stuff for various purposes. So it's one of those that I intend to look into when I have the time. Wow. Okay. That's a recommendation that I've heard maybe once or twice here in the show, but um, they've been going for quite a while. And I used to try them uh, a few years ago, certainly, but I haven't got around to using it. But um, maybe I should get back to that kind of stuff because um, it's essential to organize yourself and, and keep track of of items that um, 
you want to remember, certainly. And um, nowadays, I guess, um, there are so many different things happening online. It's so easy to lose track of things and forget about things. So I guess that's a great tool to do that with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back in the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? I didn't approach people in a personal way. I guess I had seen too many spam type emails and was composing my emails just immediately getting into the offer and immediately uh, talking about the features and all of that rather than meeting a person through the email first and then adding something of value to their world. That really has has been a turning point for me is when I learned to to see how I can give to the person before I ask how I can get. That makes all the difference. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I love the fact that um, online marketing is starting to replicate real relationships now. And um, they are real relationships now. Yeah. Um, in the past, unfortunately, it didn't used to be like that. And there was a time where everyone thought that that's the way it should be done online. But thanks to, I guess, the advent of video online, podcasting, and people getting to hear, hear real people, then they expect people to be a little bit more genuine. And that's the genuine people now which are being successful. And that's that's wonderful to see. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. There's There's something about the internet that it makes it possible for everyday people to now build a business and become a practitioner of skills that they can pass on to other people. And there's something about that dynamic of seeing someone share their journey from the beginning all the way through to the end that, that makes them very relatable and, and very, uh, very trustworthy. So, uh, you know, I think of the Pat Flynn's of the world who have really built uh, a brand on this follow me as I learn sort of a model and it, it builds trust like nothing else. Absolutely. And be yourself. Don't copy Pat Flynn, you know, just to, I mean, learn from someone like that who has done a wonderful job at being themselves, but but be yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have to have thousands or even hundreds of customers in order to actually build a great business online. You can have, you know, as you've said, 20, 25, 30 customers to, to build a decent business online. And there are certainly that number of people out there that will resonate with your personality, whatever your personality is. So... Yeah, yeah, you're exa- you're exactly right about that. We have we have 25 clients right now, two or three more in the hopper that I'm working to get onboarded, and it supports myself and my son full time. He's married and has three kids, and then one contractor who works for us as well. Plus, the business is making profits. So you're right; you don't have to have thousands of, of clients. You just have to have the right ones. The this or that round. Okay, this is the quick response round. So ten quick questions here, and just two rows. Try not to think about the answer too much. And you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. Ready to go? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, ready. Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Audio. Affiliates or display advertising? Affiliate. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one relations? One-on-one relations. (laughs) Paid search or SEO? SEO. Email contact form or telephone number? Telephone number. Website or app? App. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Global marketing. Yay! Uh, That's a couple of interesting answers there. So even though 
you may just have a few clients, you still prefer to have a global focus and, and get clients from anywhere around the world. Absolutely. I have clients in Bali, in the UK, in the United States, uh, had, had one previously in Australia. I have clients all over. It, the kind of service that I provide, it doesn't matter where you live. Yeah, if you need the service, you need the service, and I'm glad to serve. Okay, let's move on to the $10,000 question. So if I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Over the next few days, my goodness, uh, I would probably use it to um, to build some some systems. I would I would invest in some some of the software I've seen that builds systems better for your business, the processes and procedures, because the time's coming very soon where I'm going to have to onboard some more help, and I need to have systems in place to get the the uh, processes communicated well. And I know that the business can only thrive if the processes work, so that's probably what I would do with it. So have you got some software in mind that you'd love to purchase at some point over the next few months? I don't. I just know there's two or three out there. I've heard them on podcasts and things. And, and when the time comes, I'll research. I, I fully subscribe to the just-in-time learning philosophy. So I'm not quite there yet. So I haven't researched a lot. Yes, that, that, that's a great philosophy. And certainly with uh, YouTube and podcasts and iTunes, it's possible to learn whatever you want to learn as soon as you need to know it. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, let's just move on to my number one takeaway. So that um, takes us to the end of our discussion just about. But um, what would you say is the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their businesses? I would say that it's that your clients generally are not going to come to you. You're going to have to go find them. And that requires that you take a very careful look at who is your ideal client. And then you find them, you find where they hang out, how you can connect with them and you reach out. You've got to, you've got to initiate that relationship. And I know for some people that's kind of intimidating and, and salesy feeling. And I felt that way until I realized that sales is just about adding value. It's just about giving uh, benefits to people that they are willing to exchange money for because it's of so much more value to them. Uh, one of the I guess as an illustration, one of the questions that that helps many of my people who are on the fence take the plunge is when I ask them, how much is an hour of your time worth? And they'll often say numbers like $75 an hour, $150 an hour. I had one guy tell me one time $1,200 an hour. And I said, and how, how much time are you spending each week editing your podcast and writing show notes? And he just, I was, I was looking at him on Skype and he was just looking at me and he, he said, how much is your service? <laughs> because, <laughs> because he realized he was wasting $3,600 a, a week on editing and writing show notes. And so it was just a no-brainer for him. So the, the illustration is just to show that if, if what you're providing is of great enough value to them, they'll gladly part with their money. So it's not a salesy, pushy thing. It's adding value that matters. So Carrie, um, thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do? Well, you can just go to podcastfasttrack.com. There's a contact page and any emails you send come right to me. So I'd be happy to respond to anybody. And if any of your listeners are considering podcast production or show notes or anything like that, I'd be happy to give a 20% off for the first month of service if they want to give it a try. Wonderful. Okay. Well, um, you've heard that um, here, dear listeners. So um, contact Carrie and um, have a conversation and see if it's right for you. So yeah, thanks to Carrie and thank you dear listener too. So um, if you enjoyed what Carrie shared today, tell us what you think. iTunes review is of course always good and if Twitter's your thing, at David Bain is my handle. Maybe your, your thoughts on what Carrie said today and um, 
perhaps it's your suggestions on what we should cover in a future episode. Whatever it is, it'll be great to hear from you. But um, until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios, and thank you again, Carrie. Great episode. You bet. Yeah.